don't touch that dial this morning you're on the right channel this morning we thank you for tuning in and uh, we have another good lesson for you today uh, you may know or not know we do these lessons on friday mornings and today is september the 11th and uh, i would just like to make mention to please remember in your prayers this morning our country uh, all the families that lost loved ones on that that day back in 2001 and uh, just try to reflect on that today during your time alone with God and a uh, very somber time for many people and that our nation never forget uh, such a blatant attack on our citizens uh, before we begin this lesson I'd like to go to the Lord in prayer. Heavenly Father, we thank you this morning uh, once again for your goodness, for your wondrous blessings to us. Understanding, Father, we, we don't deserve anything. And may we honor you today with this Sunday school lesson, as that is what the title of the lesson is. Help us, Lord, to not be so quick to always ask for things but to only ask for things that will help us to grow uh, in the Lord. Certainly, I know myself personally, I have everything that I could possibly need uh, in the physical realm or materially. But I pray this morning, Father, for wisdom and understanding, uh, for your mercy to be poured out to me I, I fall short daily and often willfully and we uh, pray this morning Lord that you'll remember our church family today that you'll give us all uh, strength to just keep on keeping on and uh, to put you first in all that we do and say and uh, we just thank you and praise you this morning Father for uh, your goodness to us in Jesus name amen today we're still in uh, Exodus chapter 20 verses 7 through 11 and then from Psalms 145 verses 1 through 7 and that's the last psalm uh, accounted to for for David uh, what it said is one of the last psalms that he wrote uh, the title of the lesson is to honor God and we may think that we do but do we our relationship with God is seen in how we honor him and in the beginning of your book it talks about uh, we know all about honor and worship because we do it all the time Let's use the example of football Fans show both honor and worship through their conduct and commitment. Uh, I used to see a car over on Oakwood Place that had Kansas City Chiefs stickers on the doors, on the windows, on the bumpers. The guy's front yard was uh, had signs in the yard. His front porch was painted Kansas City Chiefs colors. Uh, there was no doubt who his allegiance was to. 
think about a football game, and I never knew this, roughly involves only 17 minutes of actual action. When you remove the huddles, getting back to the line of scrimmage, and the other things that take place during the game, you're left with about 17 minutes of actual plays being run. Yet football fans willingly spend up to three hours watching a game that provides only 17 minutes of actions. And if you actually go to the game, you, have, uh, you need to add drive time, parking, walking to the stadium, and then sitting in the traffic when the game's over. But here's the big one. Have you ever heard a football fan complain that the game went too long? Probably not. When we love and honor something, we willingly commit our time to it. Translate that willingness and enthusiasm over to our spiritual lives and matters like church attendance, personal Bible study, or prayer, and too many of us are satisfied with a quick five-minute devotion and a short prayer. The Ten Commandments calls us to honor God. And I'll ask again, are we doing that? The question here at the beginning of the lesson, how can you recognize a genuine fan? Most all of us have an Ohio State t-shirt. Some have a license plate uh, with Ohio State. I'll use Ohio State as an example. But whatever your team you have a shirt or a coat or a sweatshirt that's got their name on it. Do you ever wear out in public a shirt with uh, Jesus' name on the back or a hat declaring your faith in Christ? It gets a lot of looks when you do, and it may be an opportunity to speak to someone uh, concerning your faith. What we say is important, but we also know that talk can be cheap. What gives our words value is how we back them. Up by our behavior and actions. A person can say whatever he wants, but his words are only as good as his actions. Our walk with God is more than telling people what we believe about him. Our devotion to him is seen in our words, our worship, and actions. Words and actions go hand in hand. We've all heard the old saying, you can talk the talk, but can you walk the walk? And that's what people are looking at. And if those don't align, uh, People will look at you and, and know that you're a fake, that you're a hypocrite. So we must be very careful to honor God uh, with how we live our lives. When people are around that we know, and also when people are around us that we don't know. 
walking in integrity and upright to be blameless before God uh, should be our goal. Now the setting here, remember we're talking about the Israelites. We're back in Exodus in chapter 20. After their miraculous deliverance from Egypt, the Israelites traveled through uh, the wilderness to Mount Sinai, and that's talked about in chapter 19 of Exodus. There God told them of the covenant he was making with them and the commandments they were to follow as his covenant people. Over 400 years later, David wrote a psalm praising God as king, noting his excellent attributes and his mighty acts, especially on behalf of, of his people. We'll read some verses here, uh, verses 7 through 11. Thou shalt not take the name of the Lord thy God in vain, for the Lord will not hold him guiltless that taketh his name in vain. Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Six days shalt thou labor and do all thy work, but the seventh day is the Sabbath of the Lord thy God. In it thou shalt not do any work, thou, nor thy son, nor thy daughter, thy manservant, nor thy maidservant, nor thy cattle, nor thy stranger that is within thy gates. And in verse 11. For in six days the Lord made heaven and earth, the sea, and all that in them is, and rested the seventh day. Wherefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and hallowed it. Now we're going to talk about God's name. And his name, Yahweh, represents his character and his essence. Let's uh, give a couple examples of characteristics of God. This is represented in God's name. God's name is holy. No one named God. He's uncreated. He is separated from creation. He's the author of creation. He named himself. And these are some of the attributes, the characteristics of God. And this is just a couple of them. Uh, we, we could fill up a, a booklet with uh, his names. Great, highly praised, unsearchable, mighty, splendorous, majestic, glorious, wondrous, awe-inspiring, good, and righteous. And how often do we, in today's time, hear the word awesome? I heard a message preached one time that there's nothing awesome other than God. That word fits him. Nothing else is awesome. God is awesome. So we should even be careful how we use that word, uh, but it, it fully describes God. In addition to worshiping God alone and properly, we must honor God's name and everything about him. 
God, as I said, exists outside of creation. He is uncreated and eternal beyond what we know of time and space. Because of who he is, the holy and omnipotent creator of all that exists, God is worthy of unique honor that begins with his name. A person's name is a symbol or representation of that person, whereas all created beings are named by someone else, the uncreated God named himself. God's name is more than just a title. It reflects his nature and his character. It stands for everything that he is. It incorporates his complete power and authority. The Hebrew word for take, as we see in this opening verse, thou shalt not take the name of the Lord thy God in vain. It means to carry or lift. And here it pictures someone lifting or invoking God's name to support their words. One prominent focus of this commandment is the abuse of God's name by using it to certify a person's word. We've all done it. We've all heard someone say, I swear by God. And we're not to do that. Whether it's a promise or a testimony. But now here, here's a hitch in this. Even so, this command is not a prohibition against taking oaths in the Lord's name. And there's a scripture reference in Deuteronomy 6.13 and in Revelation chapter 10, verses 5 and 6, where that is acceptable, but rather prohibits the misuse of God's name in any manner, in any manner. And this, we're talking about honoring God. That includes irreverent, and that talk about profanity. We've all heard everyone GD this and that. I used to pick up trash for some people, and they would come out and talk to me. And in a span of two minutes, they could curse more than a person could in a week. Every other word that come out of their mouth was... Uh, the GD, and you know what I mean. Uh, here's one, too, and I never even thought about this one. Careless use as an expression of surprise. How many of us always say, oh, my God. Be careful in using that. Insincere use. A person speaking God's name to appear godly using it for manipulation. Here's an example of that. God told me we need to do this. And also mocking God or his words. We're not to do it, we're to honor God. Like the second commandment, this one includes a warning. God promised that he would not pardon any person who violates that command by misusing his name. Though the punishment was not specified, God promised destruction and death 
for those who proclaimed lies. And that was a reference to prophesying falsely in his name. There's a scripture reference in Deuteronomy 18 and in Jeremiah chapter 14 and chapter 29. As God's people, we carry his name. Thus, we must be careful that our words and actions not only honor his great name, but also all that his name represents. Now, in a little commentary here on verses 8 through 11, the Hebrew word for Sabbath, Shabbat, literally means to cease, stop, or rest. And we usually think of rest in connection with being physically tired or in need of renewal and recovery. It's true that the command to rest on the Sabbath calls for people to take a break from their daily labor. Arguably, the primary focus is a call to devote this day specifically to focus on God. If you're doing your work six days a week and that fills most of your time on the seventh day, the Sabbath should be a day of rest. Replace that work that you would be doing with a time of reflection, a time of meditation, a time of looking back on what God has done for you this week, uh, how he's blessed you. We honor God by, by doing that. Uh, devote the day specifically to focusing on God. Verses 8 through 11 reflect different aspects of that command. To remember, it, it involves meditating, uh, reflecting on something. Here the Israelites are commanded to think about the Sabbath in what they knew in relation to creation. Uh, we know in, in the beginning the Lord made heaven and earth, the sea, and all that in, in them is. God's work happened in six days. He rested on the seventh day. God didn't rest because he was tired. And Isaiah 40, 28 tells us, He fainteth not, neither is he weary. Instead, God rested or stopped working to set an example for his people who need time apart from the ongoing activity of life or work to refocus on the most important activity, and that's renewing and deepening their relationship with their creator, redeemer, and sustainer. We've all heard the old saying, you only get out of something what, what you put in it. And if you're not willing to devote any time, I don't care what you're doing, to devoting the time, to use quality time and effort to, to do something. To me, I, you're just wasting your time. Thus the Israelites, to remember the Sabbath, meant first ceasing from everyday work on the seventh day. To devote that day to worship and of communion with the Lord. 
The Israelites had earlier been given instructions about the Sabbath. They were told that the Sabbath was holy, that it was set apart for God. At Mount Sinai, they were reminded again of the fact and were reminded to keep that day holy. As God's holy people, they were to sanctify, which means to set apart the Sabbath, treating it differently from the other six days of the week. And to show you how serious God was about this, it applies to more than just God's covenant people. It applied to the servants, the animals, even foreigners who lived among them. As they followed God's instruction for the Sabbath, they would honor the Lord who had redeemed them from slavery in Egypt and made a covenant with them as his people. The Sabbath served as a reminder of this covenant. Now let me use an example. Often on my way home from church, we live out in the country about five or six miles out of town. It's not uncommon to see people mowing their grass, trimming their bushes, doing whatever, working in the yard on Sunday. Now I understand some people, maybe their work schedule doesn't allow them any other time to do that. Maybe they have someone in the hospital. Maybe, we, I don't know. But as for my home, you won't hear nothing running on Sunday if you go by my house. You won't see me out there with the weed eater or the lawnmower. Have I done it in times past? Yes, I have. If I knew rain was coming for the next four or five days and I hadn't had the opportunity to, to mow or get things uh, trimmed up, I have mowed on Sundays. But as a practice, I don't run my chainsaw or any, anything for that matter or do any kind of work on Sundays. That's a day of rest. That's a day of uh, taking a nap sometimes for me. Uh, resting in the house, reflecting on the service, and uh, praising God is how I like to spend my Sunday. The co connection between the Sabbath and the covenant that God had made with uh, Israel is seen in the words God spoke through the prophet Ezekiel. Moreover, also, I gave them my Sabbaths to be a sign between me and them, that they might know that I am the Lord that sanctify them. Ezekiel chapter 20, verse 12. While the Jews still observed the Sabbath on the seventh day of the week, which is Saturday, after Jesus' resurrection on Sunday, followers of Christ set apart Sunday, the first day of the week, as their Sabbath. Jesus emphasized that the Sabbath was made for man and not man for the Sabbath, Mark 2:27. Thus, it is still important for us to set aside one day a week to rest from our daily labors, but even more importantly for reflection on who God is and what he's done, renewal of our relationship with him, refocus on how we should honor him, with our lives.
life comes at us each and every day through circumstances and through situations, and often we get beat down. Often we don't seek the Lord as we should. I'm guilty of that myself. But the Sabbath is a day where we can re redirect that focus back on God where it should be and uh, reflect on perhaps the weeks past and to see how God has helped us and uh, seek his mercy and forgiveness that maybe we didn't uh, align ourselves with him in something that we handled. But it's a time to be restored and to draw back close to God. There's a, a question in, in your book and mine here too. It says here to choose your favorite president, whether he's living or dead, and imagine that he's going to come to your home for dinner. You made all the preparations, made a nice meal, set the table, even vacuumed the carpet. And when the president arrives, what do you call him? Do you open the door and call him by his first name? Or say, hey, what's up? And maybe speak his last name? I doubt it. No one addresses a president that way. That position calls for honor. And when a role requires honor, we place a title in front of that name and speak it with respect. And that's how we should honor God's name and speak it with respect, just as we would a president. Another example would be a doctor. When I go to the doctor, I address him as doctor. That's, that's his title. I have a dentist that I go to that I've known since I was in high school. I call him by his first name, and we laugh about that. But you go in, you call a person by their title. It's a sign of respect and, and proper uh, to speak to someone like that. Okay, let's uh, read now from Psalms 140, 145, verses 1 through 3. I will extol thee, my God, O King, and I will bless thy name forever and ever. Every day will I bless thee, and I will praise thy name forever and ever. Great is the Lord, and greatly to be praised, and his greatness is unsearchable. One important aspect of the Sabbath observance is the time it allows God's people to reflect on him and his actions as well as our relationship with him. As we gain and maintain the proper perspective concerning God and our relationship with him, we will naturally worship him. That is, we will recognize and acknowledge his value or worth. As we do this, we honor him for who he is and what he has done. Another way of saying that is we grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. We hunger for that. We hunger for God's word. We uh, try to be filled with the Holy Spirit and to be sensitive to what God may be showing us or uh, drawing us back from. 
It's walking with the Lord, not ahead of him or lagging behind, but it's walking hand in hand with God. That was the pattern of David, who uh, wrote many of the Psalms that developed out of his deep relationship with the Lord. Psalm 145 is the last psalm attributed to David. It's an acrostic psalm, and that means that each verse begins with a successive letter of the Hebrew alphabet. Many of his psalms reflect an acknowledgement of what uh, God had done, where David called God his deliverer. Here David views God for who he is. He is the king. In this psalm, David acknowledged God's rule and reign over his own life. David's Note also David's personal relationship with the king, whom he referred to as my God. While anyone can speak words of admiration toward God, only those who have a personal relationship with God can truly praise and honor him. To extol uh, God means to lift or raise up, thus exalting God means recognizing and elevating him to his rightful place in one's own life as ruler over everything. He is wholly worthy and deserving. There is nothing else or no one else that is worthy of that position. So God must be lifted up and exalted, extolled uh, to that position. God's name represents all that he is especially his nature and character. To bless can mean to kneel or praise and perhaps pictures someone kneeling before the Lord as one would kneel before an earthly king. David may have been kneeling as he praised God for his attributes, including his holiness, his sovereignty, his timelessness, authority, power, and so much more. Though he knew that the Sabbath was set aside as a day for renewal and worship, David did not wait for a special day to bless or praise the matchless God, nor did he worship only when he gathered with others in the house of the Lord. Instead, worship was an activity David engaged in every day. It was his lifestyle. Twice in this verse, David used the word, I will, indicating that he was not simply considering these things, but he was going to do them. We know uh, about King David. He was a man after God's own heart. David did not expect his praise to end. He would continue forever and ever something eternal and unending. Even after death, David knew that he would join with others in perpetual praise to the Lord. And in verse 3, David shifted from talking to God uh, to speaking about God. First, he referenced God's covenant name, Lord, which is Yahweh, 
This name is derived from the Hebrew, which means to be and emphasize God's self-existent, ever-present, and unchanging nature. David noted that God is great, which is a specific reference to his actions. While David would not or would name some of the awesome deeds God had done, he stressed that God's greatness is unsearchable. Though humans have sought to proclaim God's greatness, David was like Job, Isaiah, and Paul in recognizing that there are limits to what humans can fathom about God or discover about his nature and activity. Even so, because of his uniqueness, God is worthy of our praise and is greatly to be praised. Isaiah discovered in chapter 6, verses 1 through 5, when he had a vision of the Lord on his throne with angels constantly worshiping him. Just the vision of God alone was enough to drive the prophet to his knees as he recognized the vast contrast between his sinful human nature and the Lord's holiness and perfection. The Apostle John also had a vision of the heavenly throne, which was surrounded by living creatures who rest not day and night, proclaiming God's holiness and greatness. That's in Revelations uh, chapter 4, verse 8. And continually give glory and honor and thanks to him. That's in verse 9. In addition, the 24 elders around God's throne also bow constantly, proclaiming the Lord as worthy to receive glory and honor and power. For thou hast created all things, and for thy pleasure they are and were created. Before I read these last two verses, uh, every day, those two words stand out to me when I read verses 1 through 3. David praised God and declared he would bless God every day. Not just on the good days, not just on the days when he felt like dancing in the streets, not just on the victory days. No, David penned his heart's desire to worship God every single day and praise his name forever and ever. Do you desire to worship God? every day. I hope so. We should be. It should be in our heart to do that. We talked earlier about being uh, such a big fan of maybe a sports team or something like that. We'll stand in front of the TV and scream and holler and uh, throw things if Penny's not home. Uh, do we have that kind of enthusiasm for God? Let's hope so. We honor him when we do. Psalm 145, verses 4 through 7. One generation shall praise thy works to another, 
and shall declare thy mighty acts. I will speak of the glorious honor of thy majesty and of thy wondrous works. And men shall speak of the might of thy terrible acts, and I will declare thy greatness. They shall abundantly utter the memory of thy great goodness and shall sing of thy righteousness. Talking about verse 4 here. We genuinely honor God through our lifestyle, which include both words and actions. David continued his uh, psalm of praise by emphasizing the importance of helping others know the truth about God's nature and his actions. The Shema recorded in Deuteronomy chapter 6 verses 4 through 9 is one of the most important passages in all of Israel's faith and practice. Bound up in the confession of who God is, confessing his name, is the understanding that faith in Yahweh must be passed on to the next generation. Unfortunately, this did not always happen. In Judges, in chapter 2, verse 10, and also all that generation were gathered unto their fathers, and there arose another generation after them, which knew not the Lord, nor yet the works which he had done for Israel. This refers to the Israelites who had been led by Joshua to their inheritance in the promised land. They experienced God's provision and mighty works on their behalf, yet despite all they knew of and received from God, they failed to teach their children about the Lord. Thus the people and the nation struggled and suffered for centuries. It's a picture of the United States here this morning. Not, I'm not, this is not an all-inclusive statement. I'm not saying every family. But I'm saying that there are some, and probably quite a few, that the children have no idea who God is, who Jesus Christ is, have never been told a Bible story. That's who I'm talking about this morning. And we see the consequences when we look at our society this morning. And I won't go political on you, because that's not my place to do that here behind this sacred desk. But he who has an ear to hear, let him hear. And he who has an eye to see, let him look and see and consider uh, the state of our nation at this point in time. I think there's a need for God's word to be opened up and shared and read and reverenced in people's homes and with all family members present if possible to sit around and to talk about God and introduce our little ones uh, to, to the Lord. Those who know the Lord must continue to share him 
from generation to generation. The word praise carries the idea of someone praising the Lord in the presence of others. To be conspicuous and picture someone standing boldly in front of another person to make something known. Are you shy or ashamed to let someone know that you're a Christian? I hope not. We have to be bold and uh, proclaim. David pointed to one generation boldly, telling another of God's mighty acts. Certainly these could refer to the Lord's powerful deeds for previous generations, but God's powerful works also include what he is current, doing currently in this generation. There are people in this generation that are running to and fro and have no idea what's going on. Look out west at all these wildfires. Do you think that's some accident? Do you think that's global warning, warming or something to that effect? Those who know the Lord know that it is God's hand that is allowing that to happen in that part of the country and for a, a reason. Declaring and proclaiming what God has done should include both historical recollections as well as personal testimonies. David did not expect others to do what he did not do, that he would also speak about the Lord. Speak uh, can also be referred to as meditate, where a person essentially talks to ourself, whether silently or aloud. After meditating on the matchlessness of God, David could not help but share his insight with others. The root of the Hebrew word hadar, which means honor, refers to ornament or decoration and often emphasized God's grandeur and glory. The word glorious uh, means weight and is used about 200 times in scripture and often in reference to God. Moses had asked to see God's glory and God could not allow Moses to see his face for as God told him, Thou canst not see my face, for there shall no man see me and live. The Lord gave Moses a partial glimpse of his glory. Even so, the Lord had to cover Moses with his hand while he passed by, allowing Moses only to view his back. Perhaps this was the mental image David tried to emphasize emphasize as he layered word upon word seeking to describe God's majestic nature especially his brilliance and radiance this may be what the apostle Paul had in mind when he described God as dwelling in the light which no man could approach unto 1 Timothy 6:16 6, 
the apostle John saw the new Jerusalem from Revelation 21-23. And the city has no need of the sun, neither of the moon, to shine in it. For the glory of God did lighten it, and the Lamb is the light thereof. David also notes that he would tell of the Lord's wondrous works uh, to include not only extraordinary, awe-inspiring things God had done in creation, but also the deliverance he carried out again and again for people, for his people. For believers today, it would include the salvation the Lord made possible for sinners through the death and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. David echoed that he declared how the people of one generation would speak of the might of God's terrible acts. This could refer to the displays of God's strength that result in reverential awe from Exodus chapter 14, fearful respect in the book of Jonah chapter 1, and dread in Psalm 66 verse 8 from those who witnessed them. The Hebrew word here, uh, talk about verse 7 for a minute, and I'm just about done. I'll not uh, keep you much longer. The Hebrew word nava, translated shall abundantly utter, carries the meaning of to flow, spring, or bubble up, as in the case of water bubbling up from a spring. But also, thus, there is a celebratory tone to this word. It envisions a happy sharing of information. The same Hebrew term is used in Psalm 119, 171, where the psalmist declares, my lips shall utter praise. It's, it's like someone being excited. And have you ever spoke to someone where it's just bubbling up out of them, what they're sharing with you or telling you about? Uh, an example to look at or to see, everyone's drove down the street and saw where a water main's been broke and the blacktop's broken up and water's maybe bubbling up out of that. that that's uh, the image that, that they're trying to convey here. Throughout history, God's people have experienced his provision, his compassion, mercy, generosity, grace, love, comfort, salvation, and much more, which are all part of his great goodness. To sing is a response of those who have experienced the generous blessings of God and can't help but tell others about him. They will not they will tell not only of God's majesty and blessing, but also of his righteousness. The best approach to do what David did, he focused on God's works, the mighty acts, 
glorious honor of thy majesty, wondrous works, terrible acts, greatness, great goodness and righteousness. When we reflect on all God has done, we're drawn to authentic worship. We'll want to honor him with lives that utter the memory of thy great goodness. How can we declare God's work to the next generation? It's to introduce these little ones to the word of God. All these uh, families here in this congregation that are bringing their children and their babies here to hear God's word. God bless you for that. That's how we do it. We show them by example. We show these young, young people that God is first in our lives, and there's a reason for that. But God has saved us. God has spared us in an eternity in hell. He is worthy of praise, honor, and glory this morning. We share that with our children. Nobody wants to see our children go to, go to hell. So we share with them the goodness of God and uh, bring them up, up uprightly or try our best to. Thank you this morning. Uh, remember 9-11 this morning. Give some time of that today uh, to your prayer, I hope. Please remember all the prayer requests of our church family here. Uh, there's usually a list out there on the tables, out in the foyer. So uh, God bless you. We uh, ask God to watch over you today and bless you and guide you in all that you hope to do or be today. Thank you.